Music is the silence between the notes. And it's without the, you know, for me, without those silences, then it's just noise. And most of us as humans are afraid to go into those dark places, those silences, to try and understand ourselves. Instead, we focus on the outside. Hello and welcome to Mint Dialogue, episode number 353. Today is Sunday the 15th of December 2019. My name is Minter Dial and I'm your host for this podcast. And I want to thank you sincerely for taking the time out of your busy day to listen to this show. First, a quick shout out and thanks for putting up a review of the show to Terry in Fairhope. Moving on to this week's interview, which is with Ada Paris. Ada's a futurist, cultural innovator, keynote speaker and board advisor. Ada is also an enthusiastic curator of people, patterns, and stories. In this conversation with Ada, we discuss some of the biggest challenges facing business and society, her take on storytelling, the idea of a human blockchain, and cyborg shamanism, a wide-ranging and delightful discussion. So Ada Paris, how lovely to have you on the show. You and I met thanks to the folks, the good folks at uh, Like Minds. We had the, shared the stage at the Nudge Festival. And you are a polymath and enthusiastic curator of people, patterns, and stories with over 20 years of experience in transforming cultures. Wow. So with that, that's how I read you. Ada, how do you like to present yourself? Um, how do I present myself? I wear many hats. Yeah, I wear many hats, but I suppose the common theme is that I am a storyteller um, and the medium doesn't necessarily matter. Um, and the way that other people have started to introduce me is also a performance artist. There's a element of theatre around getting people to, uh, working with people around church. And So the medium doesn't matter. I think that's an interesting starting point, actually. Because, like yourself, I enjoy the practice of storytelling and have done so in, in a number of media. Do you have a preferred one, or how do you feel it changes, and which ones do we need to be focusing on these days? Um, no, I don't have a preferred one, because I think that the right medium for that message will come through. So generally, it's starting with what's the story and who's the audience. Um, and that's my approach to technology so one of the hats I wear is a technology futurist but I take a very philosophical approach to it so how is it impacting us as humans Um, and the idea of for me the idea is that you work out what's the problem you're trying to solve first and for whom and then look at the technology afterwards including the medium medium. right so where I wanted to start this at was to talk about let's say, philosophically, where we are. And the, the notion is, how would you crystallize the state of play, the situation, the problems that we face in business and society, anyway, that you're interested in? How do I crystallize them? I think the biggest thing that I'm seeing or feeling at the moment is that is that we are in a, we're in various eras. So people will talk about the Anthropocene, the Fourth Industrial Revolution, the Fifth Industrial Revolution. There's all these different things, and I think for me, what's the really interesting point is that we're actually in a time where the floor is constantly moving, 
and there is uncertainty. And so how do you build trust and transparency when the floor is constantly moving? So that is a starting point for me, rather than focusing on who's going to make a decision about what. It's that we need to create cultures, systems, where there is trust, there's transparency, and whether that's inside an organisation or society, because if we look at what's happening with politics, there's no trust. So when you say we're missing a floor, what it makes me think is that we're missing platforms. And amongst the things that I see we're missing are practised communities, whereas in the past we had more nuclear families and extended families living together, whereas in the past it was more common to go to church or temple or whatever to have a community, many of us don't have that same kind of community and therefore the same platform. Yeah, and so that's how one of the patterns that I recognise, I've been looking at patterns for the last five years, and one of them has been that the way that we use technology is as if we're looking for a new religion. We're looking for something bigger than ourselves, to connect with ourselves, our environment, and with each other. And if we look back at what the old you know, religions have been, they have provided that sense of community for us as humans. And now, technology if you look at technology as a tool, then people are looking at different ways to try and find that, to bridge that gap between what's happening on the outside and what's happening inside. And I think that that sense of community isn't necessarily there, and that's why we keep yearning and, try, and trying these different technologies or tools to try and get that same sense of connection. I mean, it feels like we're basically mice running around wheels or perhaps stuck in quicksand where we're we're doing a lot of activities but I don't feel like we're landing anywhere. Yeah, I think we are... We have spent a lot of time looking... It's interesting to say... I can say a rabbit hole, but it's interesting to say we've spent a lot of time looking up because actually we spent a lot of time looking at our phones but it's still what I mean by looking up is that there's something out there that can solve these problems and it can help me feel connected to myself and to others when one of of my favourite quotes is music is the silence between the notes and it's without you know for me without those silences then it's just noise and most of us as humans are afraid to go into those dark places those silences to try and understand ourselves instead we focus on the outside it must be this it must be this community or it must be this so there must be something else out there and i think it's, it needs to be a balance of both we need to be able to connect with ourselves first and the same goes for and this can be applied to organizations that you know, organisations can project something, a vision, or this is who we are on the outside. But when you look at what's happening on the inside, there's a disconnect. So it makes me think about a, a conductor who's actually going to do the conducting based on the spaces between the notes as opposed to on the notes. I wonder what that would look like. Do you have any ideas? Gosh, no. How, do I have any ideas? I suppose that is... That leads to the idea that I've had for a couple of years that I'm now starting to put into, put into the real world is this idea of human blockchains. The idea of how do you create systems, cultures of trust and transparency 
where people are the nodes, people are the connections. So everybody has a valuable piece of information, an insight, an experience. And when you bring those together in a system of trust and transparency, then you can solve problems. So I definitely want to get into that, Ada. And it makes me, you know, I love the idea of connecting dots here. When you, for example, buy something from someone on eBay, they may or may not have a good rating or have been talked about. And there's that moment where you've paid something, but you haven't received the item. And in that gap, there's all sorts of doubts and, and nauseousness. Oh, gosh, did I just waste a lot of money? Is it going to arrive? And I feel that gap, which is a, a, a kind of the space between the payment, the transaction, and the reception. But we, it's interesting that you bring that up because we put more trust in cyberspace than we do in people. And that's what I find quite interesting, that we are willing to buy something online, unseen. We don't necessarily know the vendor, but we have a window to that through the, the website. And we will spend fortunes on that and say, you know, yes, there, as you're talking about, there is that level of anxiety, but we still do it. But then when it comes to sitting in a room with people and having a conversation, stuff things seems to get in the way. And I think some of that stuff is ego and complexity. And, yeah, there's all sorts of reasons. But I just find it interesting that we're, we seem to be in a place where we trust, we have more sense of trust online than we do face-to-face. And there was a study that came out last week that talked about the fact that for several thousand employees in many countries, 64% of these employees trusted more a machine than their manager. Wow. Wow. <laughs> 64%. That, so many questions there. It's an indictment on us, I feel. And the irony, of course, that behind the machine is typically a person who's coded it. Well, I mean, yeah, that gets into the... Uh, the other conversation around you know the machines taking over and artificial intelligence gaining consciousness and all of those different ideas and you know they're things that I ponder and you know I think about that how can we as humans don't understand consciousness or we can't define it and yet we're still talking about the idea that machines can have it and we're afraid of the machines gaining consciousness to take over us when we don't understand what that even means. I think that the focus is, we're focused too much on that, that the machine is going to come and take over and not actually the here and now. So you mentioned the idea of the human blockchain. Because if there's one thing that the blockchain as a technology is attempting to do is, is to securize transactions and bring an element of, let's say, anonymous trust into the system. Tell us what is the human blockchain and, and how can people in business possibly implement such a technology, if you will, into their business? Well, so the, the, how I came about with the idea of the human blockchain was that I was putting on an event around blockchain and it felt, I remember looking at it and trying to get my head around it because it can be so complex, but it felt as though I was looking at Google before we realised the potential of Google in terms of giving us access to information. And I, the way that I connect the dots, as you say, 
is that I look at the, the human side of that. And so when, for me, understanding how blockchain is with its nodes, and this is about trust and transparency, and each node has a different bit of information, I see that humans are like that, or can be like that. Uh, that we have got a lot of us, and it's a generalization, have got into a space where there is a lack of trust. And I think that that's sad. Um, and it's having a, there, there are still unintended consequences of that lack of trust. And I think that that's what's helped get us to this political situation, you know, companies, um, you know, the backlash against certain big brands, you know, Facebook and Google and all these different big brands, then they're not alone. It's just that they're the ones that are named the most. That we, the idea of the human blockchain was really about how do we take, because how do we take this idea of, that's been expressed through technology and humanize it again? Because a lot of these things for me actually came from humans or from nature and from organic systems. So it's taken, we've designed them from understanding organic systems and then turn them into this digital technology. And all I'm trying to do is bring that back into to humanizing it and helping us to realize that it's not so it's not such a far reach so give us an idea how you can implement it in a business situation uh, as in maybe running a seminar and using the technology or just uh, delivering it to a ceo who says i i need to get more trust in my business um, so I can give you the example of a, an event I ran on Friday uh, at the Tate Modern, which was a roundtable discussion around um, the use of technology and rituals around it. And what I did is, with a blockchain, there has to be an element of governance. So somebody has to decide what the framework is, what are the boundaries, and what are the rules of engagement. And that's what I did. created the rules of engagement um, for the session, and then... So for my project, I created the rules of engagement and then I introduced it to everybody. So anybody could turn up and join the conversation. And But I set the ground for that by, first of all, being vulnerable and sharing my own story and relationship to that, but also taking my ego out of it because I think that that helps people to feel comfortable enough to recognise that if we're going to have an open and transparent conversation, there's no room for egos. And then what I did was I actually uh, posed a question into the system and stepped back and allowed the system, the blockchain, the humans, to have the conversation, um, recognizing that other people can have different opinions, different views, but they're just as valuable. I think an analogy that I've used in the past is that it's like creating a library. You know, you can have a library is full of all these books, full of knowledge and wisdom, and you can have Dostoevsky and you can have Harry Potter in the library, and they're both as valuable, but they will give you very different in information or insights. And I think for organisations, the way to do that is to look at what is the governance structure of what you're trying to create first. Who is going to be responsible for doing that, and what's the ethics of, of that, because this is part of the bigger problem. So if I look at the, the concept of the blockchain, and maybe I'm being too literal, there's this moment where there's a transaction or a, a writing to the ledger that's been done. We can validate that, and we cross-validate that through others who will go in to the system and say, that's okay. 
and then we go to the next stop. There's a sort of almost a linearity to it. And, and similarly, like in a book, there's page one, there's page two, there's page three, there's some linearity to that. And having constructed and read one, two, three, then page four is the anticipation of the new part. How does one, because I think in, in a company, it's so organic and, and multifarious and complex to create trust. There's no easy manner. But if, if I'm a CEO listening to this, so how, how do you think I can go about, because I, I, and I recognize that people don't trust me, they don't trust my brand. Is there a way for me to start taking this into my business? I mean, other than just bringing you in, Adam. <laughs> um, the way that I've advised, had conversations with others, um, I recently spoke at a, a, an event for CFOs, was about building curiosity. Start with helping people to build, be curious, not just about the nature of the business or what the market share or what new technologies are coming in, but be curious about humans and human interactions because if you're building the human blockchain the, the first part is human and that active listening you know all these different kind of qualities that people have said have used the label soft skills I think are the things that are needed to make this work so the, the things that I'm taking away one is the creation of that governance model the second is asking the right question and the third is stepping away and letting it happen I would add another there needs to be a I think that there should be some kind of reward ec uh, economics, some measure of success, because otherwise you're just talking for talking's sake. And so there needs to be a output that everybody has agreed to. And I think that what that comes down to is creating this understanding of value. What does value mean? Because if everybody starts, if you have a starting point of a shared idea or understanding of value, a shared lexicon, then a shared language, then people are starting from the same place. Because if you, you know, if you were in a room at, such as here and we asked everybody what does innovation mean, I think everybody would have a different view. And but if you're trying to create a blockchain or this kind of trust, then it shortcuts a lot of the process if you've had that conversation first and said this is what we mean when we say technology or block, you know blockchain or innovation this is what we mean this is where our collective agreement is now you can then bring your own experience of that in and that's what adds value yeah and ma making that Agreeing up front on the objective, is that something that you feel needs to be prescriptive? Or can it also be something that the group creates? And I mean, the risk is if you, you know, let everybody be consensual and you end up with nothing. In my experience, I've seen that the group can create. But again, it's the CEO, the leader of, you know, whoever that organization trusts in that the group can create something. So that represents and reflects their own experience, their own existence. And then you take that, you can take that out and then look at what you can do, that how valid is that for where you want to go. I like the idea that you mentioned of, of, of creating a shared idea of the value in something that I do with my colleague in Paris is that we will 
the, the, the less prescriptive we are about the end result and the more that the, the team can coalesce and make it happen and, and, and that we don't even know the output that's going to happen, but we trust the process, that is what I feel is a very transformational approach. Yeah, and, that, that has, and I think that that has to be built in at the start. So you're, as, as part of that understanding of the governance, it is saying that we are open to seeing where this goes. You know, we've we've had previous conversations, but it is about that fluidity and understanding that it's a very organic process. Even though it's called blockchain, is you know people now see it as a techno technological thing. It's still very organic because there are no guarantees of what's going to come out. But everybody, the trust and transparency is not just in the system; it's trust in the outputs of the system as well. Yeah, and you're so right. Getting that appreciation and buy-in upfront about letting go of control upfront will allow the process to work because if you come back in with some sort of anxiety about it's not going to work uh, or that's not what I was expecting then you absolutely kill the process. But that's what I meant when I said ego because the ego is not just of the individuals it's ego it's that idea of I can control it this is going to spit out what I want it to you have no idea what it's going to generate. You know that there could be something, and but what comes out will probably be a reflective of the the the, the collective. That's it. I mean, if you, shit in, shit out. Um, Ada, um, you are also on another. What do you say? It's obviously linked, but on another appellation uh, and leading that called cyborg shamanism. You are a cyborg shaman. And, uh, of course, that's how we got to meet and talk and, and just I listen to your speech. Fascinating stuff. So give us a little bit of a more insight into what is a cyborg shaman and what are you trying to achieve? Um, cyborg shaman is, well, first of all, very, the words that I use are very provocative, deliberately so. Um, and unlike you. <laughs> well, that's another, that's another podcast. Um, but it came because, I, again, I was looking for patterns across different worlds. And I realized that the way that a lot of us use technology is as if we're looking for a new religion, something bigger than ourselves. And got to this space of having these conversations with a guy who's a cyborg and recognizing the patterns that he was using. And so now cyborg shamanism is, I use the word cyborg to get us to think about what does it mean and will it mean to be human? And what are the rules and the responsibilities and the power and the ethics of, of that? Just so I come back on table stakes, it, it's, it's telling us how we are human, yet it is also the digitally enhanced version of it. It's challenging us, it's challenging each of us to think about what human means to us. So whether that is we are a school teacher or whether we are a UX designer or we are a CEO, whoever we are, what does human mean to us? Because, you know, there are, and we're going to have a different conversation about what the media's perception of a cyborg is. But I use that word because it gets us all to think about that, especially when we are looking at innovation and design and then shamanism means actively going and seeking other ways of knowing 
And so cyborg shamanism is about creating spaces in the real and the virtual world that enabled us to actively go and seek other ways of knowing and find these partnerships. So what it comes down to is really diversity and inclusion. It's about creating cultures where that are inc- diverse and inclusive. And, and by looking for different sources of knowledge, we're naturally having to break down some of our traditional paths. Yeah, so what I did is I created an A to Z of uh, for cyborg shamanism. And to your point, one of the words is liminal, L, liminal. And it was about the question for that is really around how do we start to break down our own barriers, our own liminal borders, boundaries of knowledge, of exploration, stepping outside our comfort zones and trying to find other ways of understanding things. I mean, it's the same, a very similar discussion that's been used for diversity and inclusion, you know, for years and different reports. And I have just used it, I'm using a different way, a different approach, a different language around... um, bringing that together. Today's world is, let's say, on the bandwagon of diversity. It is my observation that there's a lot of lip service to it. And I think part of the, the the lip service isn't the problem. I think it, for me, the, the, the scope of the de- desire for diversity is the limitation. That's to say we we want everything and, and are supposed to accept everything. But as soon as we accept everybody and everything, it becomes, it becomes hard to know who you are and, and you can get lost in it. And so the lip service is by trying to do 100%, we, we struggle even to move from 25 to 26. Gosh, that's a big one. Um, So, yes, there has been a lot of talk and initiatives around diversity and inclusion. I mean, we've been talking about, you know, mixity and having, you know, 50% women. We're not there yet. And, I mean, just to say one of the very many elements. And so there's a lot of talk and, and companies continue to write about it. But it ain't happening. And I'm trying to figure out why it's not. Um, I recently had some conversations in a group of with a group of CEOs and entrepreneurs and various people around diversity and inclusion and I remember somebody saying oh I'm really happy because our organization has a a diversity group and it's great because they have their meetings and all of this and I said but how much power do they have because if they don't have any power to change anything then all you're doing is giving them a, a, you're patting yourself on the back and giving them a little space to have a meeting and actually that's not going to change anything. So I think that, you know, these initiatives need to be structured or founded and based on a way of actually there's going to be real change. It's not just lip service. It's not just saying, well, we've done this, we've got this initiative um, because... It doesn't, it's not, it's not changing anything, it's not, the, the figures we've seen, you know, whether you're talking about the gender pay gap or, you know, 
ethnic diversity figures or ability or any other figures hasn't really changed because and I think part of that is because there's no sense of there's no there's no power within or very little power within actually fundamentally changing some of these things so in following my observation on this my feeling is that it is too often detached from let's say to use your words what is the value that we've shared and, and we've agreed on in my words it is too little attachment of the concept of diversity to the strategy which we're trying to employ and by being just a diversity program that's a hundred percent of companies who want to do that fine but how is it actually materially going to participate in their success we know diversity has good things but have they made the link between the elements of diversity that they think are going to be good to their strategy and therefore will be powerful yeah, so it, I feel that diversity, you know, it shouldn't be a separate diversity policy. It should be something that is systemic across the whole organisation. And actually, it's also linked to just the same way that I feel that innovation shouldn't be one person's role. You know, there could be somebody who's ahead of that. But innovation, the idea of innovation to me is problem solving. Diversity is, in, and sh everybody's a problem solver, so it should be systemic. Diversity shouldn't be an add-on. I think it should be something that is systemic across the whole organisation. And you look at how it impacts every decision that you make. So, yes, if you have a diversity group, how many people on your board are diverse? And they, that could fall in so, so many different areas. But I do remember reading a report that said, I think it said that um, boards that had diverse, boards of companies that had diverse uh, members of the board were 30% more successful, more productive, more innovative. I mean, I've observed it, I've, I've lived it, even though I did spend a lot of time at L'Oreal, which maybe wasn't the bastion of diversity. Um, I, I certainly have seen its power. As a cyborg shaman, now going into a business environment, because most people who are listening tend to be, let's say, focused on business, what are the shamanistic tools that you are enjoying looking at that can help bring about that change, that transformation that you were talking about? Well, I suppose firstly, I don't know whether... I, see, I suppose I see cyborg shamanism as a process rather than a person, um, and it's a, it's a practice. So do I see my, myself as a cyborg shaman? I think I have tendencies, I, I can express it, but it just feels weird to call myself a cyborg shaman. But in terms of tools, um, for example, I yesterday had a great conversation with a quantum physicist to look at what are the patterns, what are some of the patterns that they use in their research processes that are very similar to the way that we use technology. Because I think that it's looking outside of your own areas to see where there are similarities. Well, listen, um, Ada, it's been fun chatting with you. Um, where can anyone follow you, track you down, uh, cyborgly or not? What's the best way to read about you? Um, you can find me on uh, my website, which is adaparis.com, uh, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. Well, I will be sure to put all those in the show notes. Really enjoyed meeting you, Ada, and I 
I, I, what I love about our conversations before and during is that there's, there's a, the scope is so vast and covers the world and, and especially when you have such a wide scope of, of expertises and understandings it, it just makes it for a very vivifying experience so I um, highly encourage anyone who's listening to go and explore more about Ada thanks for coming on the show it's a pleasure looking forward to staying in touch thank you Minter it's been a pleasure thanks for having listened to this recording of the Minter Dialogue show you'll find the show notes and other blog posts on MinterDial.com if you enjoyed the show please head over to iTunes to give a rating and review and to finish here's a song I wrote with Stephanie Singer a convinced man.
Hey friends, this is Jim Knight, former 21-year Hard Rock executive turned best-selling author and top 10 keynote speaker. And I'm Brant Menzwar, former frontman of Hollywood's most dangerous band turned top 10 motivational speaker and best-selling author. We host the how-to podcast, Thoughts That Rock, where we talk to rock stars, athletes, CEOs, astronauts, and even next door neighbors who share their expertise and opinions. Together, we tackle the most interesting and challenging topics of today. Whether you want to learn how to become more confident, how to deal with anxiety at work, or how to write a hit song, or use Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu in life, we've got hundreds of episodes to help amp up your life and move you forward. Subscribe to Thoughts That Rock wherever you listen to podcasts and check out evergreenpodcast.com for more information.